Pushkin. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Marianne Faithful has been many things throughout her half a century in music. A close confidant of the Rolling Stones, a pop star, a homeless drug addict, and a critically acclaimed comeback artist. It is the evening of the day. I sit and watch the children Despite a career filled with personal and professional turmoil, Marianne Faithful has always managed to find her footing. Last year, just as Europe started to go into quarantine, Marianne was recording a series of spoken word renditions of 19th century romantic poems, scored by Brian Eno, Nick Cave, and her longtime collaborator, Warren Ellis. But then in April of 2020, Marianne was hospitalized with the coronavirus. Now nearly a year later, she says she's been deemed a COVID long hauler because of the virus's lingering effects on her lungs and short-term memory. On today's episode, Bruce Hedlum talks to Marianne Faithful about how COVID has impacted her work, her stalled biopic, and why she resented being labeled Mick Jagger's muse. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's Bruce Hedlum and Marianne Faithful. We want to talk about your new album, She Walks in Beauty, yes. which is you reading romantic poetry. When we say romantic poetry, we mean poetry from the great romantic writers like Shelley and Byron. and 19th century romantic poetry. English, yes. And 
you read over these uh, sort of beautiful musical soundscapes created by Warren Ellis, who's one of your regular collaborators, Nick Cave, Brian Eno. So first, when did the idea for this album come to you? Well, it's been an idea I've had for a long time, but I never thought it would come to the point where we could actually do it. You know, that the record company would be hip enough. It, it had a lot to do with meeting and working with my manager, Francois Ravard, and, of course, uh, Warren and Nick. What convinced the record company that this was a good idea? I'm not sure, but Francois did it anyway. It does seem very unlikely, you know, for record for any record company. It's not the most commercial project we've ever heard of, is it? No, but it is a terrific project, and it's... It is a terrific project. It yeah. is. And I want to talk about, I think, what makes it so terrific. But first of all, how did you choose these particular poems? I went through a lot with, with Head, actually, my producer, and Alex. I went through a lot of Shelley, a lot of, uh, of Byron. Keats was the best one, really because there's so much, and it's so gorgeous. Not the best one, but the the easiest one to find. Um, Although we still couldn't do everything, you know. Well, the Thomas Hood one, the the Bridge of Sighs, I discovered that when I was about 14 or 15, and I loved it then. And I wondered, once I started making records at all, I wonder if I could ever do a record of poetry, like things I really like. Mm. And so I've been slowly gathering it together and having thoughts about it, which poems I wanted to do for quite a long time. But what this project did for me, I never really appreciated or liked Wordsworth. But now, through this, I've begun to really love Wordsworth. It was very good for me like that. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, A lot of people who like Byron and Shelley, you know, part of the deal is they decide they don't like Wordsworth early on. Well, I I don't think I did that consciously anyway. I just didn't didn't really get it, you know? Did you grow up in a home where poetry was part of your education, part of daily life? Uh, yes, I suppose I did, yeah. Your father taught literature, right? No, he was a professor of Italian Renaissance. Oh, I see. Mm. But that meant Petrarch, Dante, all that. Mm-hmm. He was also yeah. a spy, wasn't he? He was, yes. Well, that's how he met your mother, I think. And that's, I was just going to say, <laughs> and that's how he met my mother, who was also, she wasn't a spy. But she was in, I mean, there was hardly any resistance in Vienna. But my mother was involved in it because it was very straightforward. My grandmother, my lovely grandmother, Flora, was Jewish. So there was no no question, you know. And, and your, your mother also knew Kurt Weill and Brecht and these people? Well, she only knew them to the, when they were going in for dance rehearsal into the theatre. She worked 
in the corps de ballet with Max Reinhardt. And when all the little dancers would get trooping in to the theatre for rehearsal, they would meet my uncle Alexander, her brother, and uh, Bertolt Brecht and Kurt Weil coming out after an all-nighter with lots to drink and lots of things written. Oh, amazing. Yes. And they would, they would all say, Guten Morgen, Herr Brecht. Guten Morgen, Herr Weil. That sort of thing, you know. They were just little girls, really. Did you ever meet them later in life? Oh, no, no, I wish. No, of course not. No, no I guess they were both gone by Not then. that old, <laughs> Okay, well, I thought I'd ask. Yeah, all right. So what kind of, you said you read the Thomas Hood when you were 14. I came across, I think I was just very lucky. I somehow got hold of a book called Palgrave's Golden Treasury. Hmm. And it was in there. And I read it and I was just blown away by it, you know. And a few of the other poems that I used were also in this book. But it was it was very broad. It wasn't just 19th century English romantic poets. It was all sorts of things. Poetry in general. But yeah. was the romantic poetry, was 19th century poetry, was that the poetry that grabbed you when you were young? Yes. And also that's the poetry that I studied with my wonderful English teacher, Mrs. Simpson, <laughs> when I, I think I was 17. And uh, I would have gone on with that if I hadn't been discovered. Do you, did you want to become a poet or an academic? No. no. Well, I don't know. I might have. I enjoyed learning. I enjoyed studying. I didn't think I wanted to become a poet, no. My poor father once asked me what I wanted to do. Oh, no, I asked him. Oh, that was so awful. A trick question, really. I asked my poor father what he thought I should do, and he gave the wrong answer. <laughs> he said he thought I should be a social scientist, a social worker. Oh, and I was so shocked because, of course, I wanted to be a film star. And then, you know, famously, when you were, I think, 16, you were discovered? Yes. Well, a bit older, 17, 18, yes. Uh, and you were kind of swept up into London at the time, and you... Yeah, on the Rolling Stones, Andrew Lou Goldham, and all that, yes. And you recorded As Tears Go By. It was a huge hit. yes. Wasn't a huge hit. I think it did rather well. It's a lovely, lovely song. It is. I still like it. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, considering, considering your long career, you were always considered <laughs> like a muse to the Rolling Stones. Yeah, and that's really not a great job. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was accurate, but it's not a good job. As jobs go, you know, I can think of better ones. But yeah. I sort of was. But of course, I mean, I'm delighted that Mick or Keith or both found things to use in my brain. But that wasn't really what I wanted, no. You wanted to be your own star. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you had, you had a rough time of it for a while and homelessness and oh, addiction. Oh, yeah. I suppose I did. 
But I had a lot of fun too, you know. But then really starting with, I guess, broken English. Yeah. That was my big comeback, wasn't it? Yeah. And when we think about it now, you were so young when you did that. Everybody... I was very young. Yeah. seemed so strange. Yeah. And since then, you've become this incredible interpreter of people's work. I mean, you've written songs of uh, your yeah. own. As, as well as writing my own songs. You do, but you've, you've, by the way. you've covered so many people. One of my favorite uh, cover versions you've ever done and you probably don't remember doing it, uh, was Sp what? Uh, Spike Driver Blues for the Harry oh, Smith. Oh, I do. Of course I remember. I mean, you know, one of my absolute very best, dearest, much-loved friends was Hal Wilner, who has just died because of COVID. And I miss him more than I can say, especially now with this lovely new po poetry record. He wasn't here. I couldn't use him, and I miss him so much. And all that thing of Spike Driver Blues, which I love, was done, it was a show that Hal put together, and, and he gave me to do Spike Driver Blues, and it turned out really well. Was that his idea to do that? It was, it was Hal's idea, yeah. Now, when he first suggested that, that's not your usual material. It's a American blues folk song. Well, I, I really love American blues. But, but my question is, you so often do songs, I think, Down from Dover by Dolly Parton is another great example. Where Lovely song, yeah. You bring so much to a song. When you sit down to say, okay, I'm going to cover something like Spike Driver Blues, what's the process? How do you, how do you make that song yours? Oh, God, Bruce. I don't really know. Something magic happens, and it becomes mine. Hmm. Is it is it something that happens with the musicians? It happens live, or it just when you're? It does happen live, but it also happens when I'm recording. And Hal was very clever, getting me to sing songs that I wouldn't know about. You know, I, I actually did know Spike Driver Blues. But there are lots of things, like uh, some of the things on Strange Weather that I didn't know. But I, I wanted to do it because I wanted to please Al. I loved him. I adored him. You know, the reason I'm asking is, in some ways, this current album almost yeah. feels like cover versions of great poems. I know that's a silly way to say <laughs> it. <laughs> but... <laughs> But when I listen to it, and, you know, I've had to learn some of these poems in high school like everybody else and didn't enjoy of them, course, didn't remember yeah. them. And that's one of the reasons I chose some of them. I wanted to use choose poems that a lot of people would have heard of or known. Mm -hmm. But it's an amazing experience listening to them because I feel like I'm hearing them in a different way. In the same way when I <laughs> hear you do Spike Driver Blues... I understand yeah. the song, I feel the song in a different way. Does that make any sense? Yes, especially with Spike Driver Blues, because that's so far from my life and my own experience. But I feel it very much when I, when I did it. I really felt it. I understood it. I knew what it was about. And I wanted to really get it right, put it across. We'll be right back with more from Bruce Hedlum and Marianne after a quick break. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. 
It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on credit worthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242-424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. In my book, David and Goliath, I tried to figure out how some people find the strength to take on the established way of thinking and turn it upside down. What does it take to be a disruptor? And I concluded that a disruptor is someone with a rare combination of three traits. First, you have to be open. You have to be willing to see and do things in new ways. Secondly, you have to be conscientious, to follow through and make things happen. Those two are obvious. But the third one is the crucial one. You have to be willing to do what you think is right, even when everyone around you thinks you're an idiot. There isn't a brilliant innovator in history who wasn't surrounded by naysayers. Most of us can't take that kind of criticism and we fold. But the disruptor doesn't. They soldier on. I've been looking at disruptors and their success stories a lot lately, partly because I'm working on a follow-up to the tipping point. And market disruption plays a key role in how ideas take off but also because I'm going to be the keynote speaker at this year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business. It's an event where customers are recognized for kicking convention to the curb to elevate their company, while also doing meaningful things for their community and even the world. In fact, I'll be presenting the first ever Tipping Point designation, a new special distinction honoring one entrant that sparked transformative change for their organization this event sounds like your thing, I encourage you to find out more or even enter the unconventional awards to be recognized for your disruptive thinking. Win a donation to a charity of your choice and much more. You can enter before July 31st at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. We're back with Marianne Faithful and Bruce Headlam. With some of the songs you've done, as tears go by, uh, "Baby Blue," um, you've done you've done some songs at different points throughout your career. You've done three different versions of "As Tears Go well, By." Well, "As Tears Go By," yes. I I never felt I really got it right. You see, 
And Warren particularly wanted to do it again. And I agreed. I thought, well, let's try it again. And what what were you thinking about the second or third time you did it? How was it different for you? Well, it's very straightforward, very simple. The first time, it's really quite a perky little pop song. But it, the strange thing about it is that it's a song probably meant to be sung by a woman much, much older than me. I was 17. And the second time I did it was when I just stopped taking drugs. And uh, I think it was very, very sad. It was very, it was sad because I was sad. You, know? you were sad because you'd, you'd stopped taking drugs? and I think so, yeah. I hadn't got to the bit yet where you realize how wonderful it is to be not taking drugs. <laughs> Did that take a while? Not too long, but it, yeah, it didn't come right away. And then you did it in 2017. What was it like doing it then? Well, then I really felt I was in the right place to do it. The right age, the right place, the right time, and with the right people. So if you listen to all three versions now, would that be your favorite now? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. And you've done other you've done Sister Morphine a couple of times. You've yes. done Baby Blue a couple of times. You're a little bit like Frank Sinatra. You do things at different points in your career. Am I? Wow. I, I mean that I mean that sincerely as someone who no, I I agree. Yeah. Thank you. I adore Frank Sinatra. I respect him a lot. I want to talk more about these poems because as I said they they feel like a, yeah. the great cover version of a song. I want to ask you more about Bridge of Sighs, because I think in some ways it's your best performance on this. Well, one of them. There are are quite a lot of really good performances, you know. Mm -hmm. I think um, The Lady of Shalott, The Ode to a Nightingale, Ozymandias is really good. To the Moon is fantastic. Yeah, you do it twice. Well, that was Head's idea the producer, my producer and engineer, and he did something so brilliant. He made it sound like I do it, and then it sounds as if the moon does it back to me. Oh, I like that. So do I. So, you know, a lot of these, and it's romantic poetry, so a lot of them are about death. Of course. And a lot of them are about women who aren't like yeah. you at all because they're either, you know, they're either these temptresses like in the in the Keats, or they're they're victims. Bridge of Bridge of Sighs is about a a, a a woman who kills herself. Yes, she throws herself off a bridge into the Thames. Yes. Yeah. Tell me what what that's like for you to read. Did that have any personal? Well, I, I think it it got to me more when I was much younger. By the time I I recorded it. I was well over that sort of thing. <laughs> there was no way I wanted to be a victim, and I wasn't. Mm-hmm. But she is, and I don't don't dislike her for it. That's just how she is. Do you have a favourite on the album? Oh, God, I, I don't know. Both Warren and I particularly do love Bridge of Sighs, probably because it's got this wonderful rhythm and the alliteration and the rhyming is so brilliant. 
but a lot of them have that, you know. Did you record these first and then he composed the tracks yeah. underneath? Yeah. I recorded them with Ed in London and we sent them, Ed sent them to Warren in Paris and he then composed the music. Are you in London most of the time now? Yes, I've just moved back to London. I was in Paris too. But my son really wanted me to come to back to London. And I realized I really hadn't given him enough time and attention in my life. And I should. And I came back. And I wanted to be with my grandchildren too. I like them very much. The other thing about these poems, and this really got to me when I was listening yeah. to it over and over, yeah. which is, I mean, so many of them are about separation or being solitary, particularly on, and I'm going to say side two, because that's how I still think of these things. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, to the moon. We'll go no more arriving. And Lady of Shalott. Yeah. They got to me, I think, because of the isolation everybody's been living in in the past year. Yeah. Uh, you know, certainly in, in roving, uh, there's yeah. the line, and I'm going to get it wrong, but uh, something to the effect that the heart must pause to breathe and love yeah, itself. No, you, you got it right. Have rest. It really got to me, I think, because of... Of course. Now, you recorded yeah. some of this before you were sick. Yeah. Some of it after. But, you know, already uh, it was all, almost, or in fact it was, lockdown when we recorded it. So we knew what that was. Both Warren and I and Ed we all realized that this was a great, great record to give people and to make at this moment. We'll be back with more from Marianne Faithful after a break. Snag a Job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, attempt to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hello, hello, Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History. If you've watched a professional tennis match recently, you'll know that fans had this amazing new tool at their disposal. It was created by the consulting company Infosys and the Association of Tennis Professionals. It's an immersive 3D viewing experience for tennis fans, which allows them to watch matches from new angles, get real-time statistics, and better understand the inner workings of the game and its athletes. Basically, a completely new, data-driven way to appreciate a tennis match. It's been a huge hit, and I'm proud to say that the Infosys Tennis Platform earned first place in the Customer Experience category at the Unconventional Awards from T-Mobile for Business. 
an event held at Mobile World Congress in Las Vegas that celebrates customers who've boldly innovated for the sake of meaningful change. And I think it's important to point out that innovation like this doesn't just require a great idea and exploit some great underlying technology. It takes courage. Because tennis is a game with a long history and some pretty powerful traditions. I mean, you can only wear white at Wimbledon. Still, it's the 21st century. And here was an idea that said we can dramatically change the way a fan watches a match. We can feed them data. We can allow them to see things they could never see before with the naked eye, or even conventional camera angles. If you want to turn a world upside down, you have to have a pretty strong backbone. That's a lot of what the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards are all about. Finding people and companies who show that kind of boldness. I encourage you to enter. It's a fantastic event and a great way to be recognized for your brave, outside-the-box thinking in front of the industry's most influential leaders. And an even better way to say, I told you so. You can enter by July 31st at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. We're back with more from Bruce Hedlum and Marianne Faithful. We were talking about the songs in the second part of the album. And you said, in some way, you were thinking about the isolation people were were going through. And I mentioned Roving, but I think the performance that you know really got to me was uh, Lady of Shalott. Oh yeah. Well that's it's a very interesting poem. It's about I, I think anyway, it's really about a narcissist who can only see life through a mirror. And when the mirror cracks, I don't really know why it cracks. She does something wrong, doesn't she? Oh, she looks at life straight. Yeah. Yeah. And at that moment, the mirror cracks from side to side. And then she starts to sing her swan song and she's going to die. She gets sick of it, looking at everything through a mirror. Is that wonderful line, I am half sick of shadows, said the Lady of Charlotte. She is a narcissist, but in another sense, it's about someone who it's at a great distance from the world. She lives beside Camelot. She's not allowed to look at it. 
And so when she tries to enter the world by looking at it, she has to die, which again made me think so much of people who want to be closer to other people now are taking an enormous risk. And, you know, in, in the, her, her body floats up to, to Camelot where everyone can see her. In her song, she dies. I can't, I, again, I can't remember the exact line. But to me, it reminded me so much. You mentioned Hal Wilner, but uh, of reading obituaries yeah. of people you might not have even known about. And then you find out yeah. that they're gone because of this. I found that very resonant. Yeah, me too. But I've always felt that about that poem. Yeah. Oh, was was that another one you you'd always liked? Yes, and a lot of people do. You know, it's a lot of people know that one. I think. You know, these poems aren't fashionable right now. No. In a way, the romantic poetry isn't. I think we want things either more absurd or more direct. Um, do you? Yeah. But you still find something in them. Do you find new things in them when you read them? I don't care. I never think about fashionable. It doesn't mean anything to me. I love the beat poets. I love all sorts of things. And I love 19th century romantic poetry too. And I'm glad if people aren't, aren't all sort of making records of, like this, because that means I can. But you've also been on this run of terrific albums from yeah. Easy Come, Easy Go and uh, Give My Love to London. I loved that one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is also a great song you wrote with uh, Steve Earle. Who I love very much too. What do you account for this level of success at an age when most people are looking back on their past work? <laughs> I really don't know. I really don't. When you go in to make an album, do you do you have a particular idea that the, the album is going to be one thing or another? So I think I must do deep down, you know, but I, I don't really say it out loud. Okay. Um, yeah. But you said this one out loud. Yeah. I'm going by feel and instinct. I don't really know exactly what I'm doing. I think Hal did, but I don't really. Or maybe I do, but I just don't admit it. I don't know. Well, you see, do you ever wonder if, if you were ascribing things to Hal, he was really just bringing out in you the ability to do these songs? <laughs> I, I never thought of that, but that might be true, yeah. I don't know. And, you know, a, a couple of the songs I do associate with you, later songs, is like Nick Cave's... Uh, uh, late Victorian Holocaust. Oh, yeah. Oh, what a great song. And you do a great, great version of an old Ho- Hoagie Carmichael song, which is, I get along very well without you. Yeah, it's a great song. Well, it also makes me think of you because you had this very storied life. You were, for many people, still more of an image than a performer. Yeah, you were this, I know. This beautiful girl who represented Swinging London. <laughs> yes. And when I listen to that song, that's what I hear. I hear you saying, I don't need any of that. Oh, yeah. So tell me, what's what's next for you? Well, I don't know. It depends on what happens with this record a bit. And also, you know, because I've been so ill mm-hmm. with the COVID, I, I got so ill, I nearly died. And how did, you know? And it's taking me a long time to recover. 
um, I've got what they call now long-term COVID. And it's going to take a long time to recover. And actually today, before we started this, I was working on my singing, practicing singing with a friend of mine who plays guitar. Because I was really frightened that I wouldn't be able to sing anymore. Were you afraid you might die at some point? Um, no, it, that didn't cross my mind. <laughs> Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm asking because you were in the middle of a project about romantic poetry, which is, you know, there's the Keats half in, uh, half in love with easeful death. Oh, yeah. But I've, I've known those lines forever. You know, no, I don't. Th I really don't think everything is about me. No, oh, I'm not saying really? you thought it was about you, but I, I'm wondering what those lines were like when you were when you were quite sick. I, I wasn't doing it when I was quite sick. I was in fucking hospital. <laughs> you weren't allowed to just sing? Is that what you're telling me? No. Okay. I was much too ill. All I remember about it is that I was in a very, very dark place. And I presume that was being very close to death. Yeah. But I didn't think that at the time. Well, I'm happy that wasn't the case. This is a fabulous album, and Thank it's you. a thrill to hear it. I'm glad you finally got to do it. Yeah. Have you got any other ideas that you've had forever and you thought, no, the record company will never go for this? Uh, no, not really, not yet. You know, I am 74, she said. <laughs> I'm not sure how many records I can go on making. I think at least I've got another one, and I'd like it to be songs. And I'd like to write some of them, too. Do you have some ideas already? Uh, no. This record needs to come out. If I've got something ready to come out, it has to come out before I can turn to my next one. I've got ideas, and I'm going to sit down and, and write something, but I'm not, I'm not feeling very secure about it. Well, listen, I, I hope everybody buys this album because it's terrific. Oh, God, so do I, because I really need the money. <laughs> well, you know, this whole thing, the pandemic, really fucked me up, particularly, just like it did everyone else. Do you mean financially as well? Yes. I, uh, they were going to make a, a biopic of my life. And if they had been able to do it, which, of course, they couldn't, I would have made a lot of money, and I really need it. Well, are they, do you think they'll go ahead and do it now that they have a chance? I think, I think some, I hope so. I hope soon, but maybe not quick enough for me. It's really quite desperate. Your life did not get less interesting in the meantime, so there's no reason for them <laughs> to stop. I think you should tell them that. Oh, yeah, I know. I don't know if they realize that. I don't know. You know, the one thing about COVID is um, you can't see people in person. So a lot of old friends are connecting over phones or Zoom or whatever else. Um, through your sickness, through putting out this album, have you been able to reconnect with some people in your life? Yes and no. I like Zoom because, you know, I, I, I use it um, for sort of, I, I, I have a, a group that I go to. Uh, very well known, I won't say its name, which now you can do, you can do it on Zoom. 
and it's very important to me. And if it wasn't for Zoom, I wouldn't be able to do it at all. Is that still a, a daily thing for you? Yeah. I mean, I don't. I, I only go to a couple of meetings a week, but it's something I always will have to think about. Okay. Well, listen, it's been just wonderful to speak to you. I think we tried to talk to you after your last album, but I'm thrilled I got a chance to speak to you about this one. <laughs> um, well, I think I was already, not COVID, but I was getting very ill already with other things, you know. I, I've had a very hard time in the last couple of years. And whatever happened to me, it wasn't me hurting myself. It was coming from outside. All right. Well, take care of yourself now. Thanks, darling. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bruce. Thanks to Marianne Faithful for talking through her new album, She Walks in Beauty with Bruce. To hear a playlist of our favorite Marianne Faithful songs, head to brokenrecordpodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brokenrecordpodcast, where you can find extended cuts of new and old episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at Broken Record. Broken Record is produced with help from Leah Rose, Jason Gambrell, Martin Gonzalez, Eric Sandler, and Jennifer Sanchez, with engineering help from Nick Chafee. Our executive producer is Mia LaBelle. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries. And if you like our show, please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. Our theme music is by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richman. Peace. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.